If we put up tonight's verse, uh, which is Ephesians 3.20, um, Summer made mention of this uh, before that this is our theme for the month. If you guys weren't here this morning, Pastor John preached an amazing message about writing down our 10-year plan. And I would just encourage you, if you weren't here this morning, to listen to that when it comes out on podcast on Tuesday and really just put pen to paper and begin to write down those goals, write down those things and just let yourself dream. But we're speaking tonight from this verse. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Ten years ago... um, it was a long time. For me, I was 11 years old. Wait, no. Here I am thinking I'm 21. I was 17 years old and just finishing school. Um, but yeah, we're thinking about, we've been thinking in this season in church the last two weeks about where are we going to be in 10 years time? And so what I did was before I look forward, I look back and I was like, well, what has the last 10 years been like? And just began to reflect. And so 10 years ago, many of you would know some of my testimony and my story of my journey into uh, studying medicine. And um, it was a wild one. But as I reflected, I began to just see all these little miracles weaved into that one miracle as I just thought about what this last 10 years has been like. So in 2011, exactly 10 years ago, I, I finished school. So it's my 10-year anniversary this year. It goes so quick. Whoever's in school, just be aware when you finish. Time When you put YouTube on two times speed, that's exactly what happens to your life. It just flies. But in these last 10 years, I wrote down my vision 10 years ago uh, to get into medical school. And I've got little copies in my old Bible of my goals at the start of the year of writing down, I want to get into medical school. But that verse says it all, that God does exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think. From my journey to starting to apply for medical school, some crazy things happened. Finished school in 2011, and when I didn't get the OP that I needed, I was looking around for a degree that I could do to get into medicine. About a week, maybe, before applications for universities closed, at this time, I wasn't following God. So to put it in perspective, I'm kind of just thinking, I just want any degree that means I can move out of home, because then I can just do whatever I want. I've got great godly family, parents in this house. So me being the not so godly teenager, I was like, I need, to, I need to get out of this place and live a little. So I'm just thinking, how can I get out? But a week before uh, applications closed, I became aware of a degree where I could do the course that I wanted to do in two years instead of three. And so I was like, fantastic, I can shave a year off, um, which meant I stayed on the Sunshine Coast. That was the first miracle, because what that meant was, now I got to stay in my local church. I honestly... It sometimes scares me to think what would have happened if I had moved, because even though for many years after that decision, I was more just occupying a seat in this church and my heart wasn't connected, I was still here, and that still does something to you. And so that was the first miracle that I stayed. At the end of my degree, um, I got offered by my course coordinator to do some like work placement as a part of the degree. What that meant is that I could do three less subjects and just do a like a work traineeship. And so for me, not even like thinking that this could be God, I was just like, that's the easier option, done, I'll take that. But what that meant was that when I finished uni, I had more hands-on experience than a lot of other people. And what ended up happening was I ended up getting a graduate job that really, there's a lot of uh, competition for it. So much so that um, a lot of the, like uh, my boss and one of my other guys, when we get our students to talk to us about our pathway and then stuff. They don't let me talk to the students because it was so not normal how I got my job. 
because they're normally like, you need to slave your backside off, you've got to do some locum work, you might have to move away, all that so that you can maybe get a chance of coming back here. And I just finished my degree and just slotted right in. And so that was, that was the next miracle. Um, and then what I did was just began to work full time. In this time, I was studying to try and get into medicine. It definitely had its hiccups. I sat the entrance exam five times. That costs like 300 bucks and it takes years off your life. It's the most stressful thing ever. But anyway, I applied twice. Um, and after nine years of trying, I got my first offer. The thing was that offer was for Wollongong University. Um, and if any of you know where Wollongong is, it's down in Sydney. And so I went on this journey because I had two weeks to reply of really just wrestling with God. What do I do? Like, do I go? Don't I go? At this point, I was really following Jesus with all my heart. And so I'm in this kind of tension. I don't want to leave my local church. My family's here. But then it's been nine years of me trying to get into this. And by that point, I'd spent maybe like eight grand trying to get in. Um, so it was, a, it was a hard choice. But after a lot of counsel, talking to leaders, a lot of prayer, talking to my family, I decided to do the absolutely ludicrous thing and turn it down. And then another series of miracles happened. Uh, maybe five years before I got into medicine, they'd told me that there's literally no chance of there being a medical school on the Sunshine Coast. Like, for USC to have that, uh, there's only a certain number of medical students that can be produced every year because there's only a certain number of jobs, right? So there's almost no chance of them getting a medical school. But within a two-month period, the uh, university that had the rights to Sunshine Coast University Hospital pulled the pin. And um, they were sending third and fourth year students there, which meant that you had to do your first two years down in Brisbane. Um, but the next uni that came in decided, actually, we want to just have an off-site campus and start students from the get-go here. And so this thing that I got told wouldn't be happening for like 10 plus years, suddenly within two weeks, just turned around and they were accepting first year medical students. And so there I was like, all right, God, like, this is interesting. Like, I'm going to sit the games at yet again and just see how I go. And little behold, I applied and I was one of the first students to um, start at Griffith University on the Sunshine Coast. So, um, <laughs> But the thing that I realize in that verse, in Ephesians 3.20, it says to him. I'm so aware that I didn't plan any of that. Like, my goal that I wrote on the paper was, I just want to study medicine. And in God's mind, he's just like exceedingly abundantly above. He's like, I'm going to place you in a medical school degree, in a place where you'll still be in church, in a place where you'll be surrounded by family. Uh, I actually work where I study. Um, and honestly get paid so well that I only really have to work like eight hours a week to live, um, which is just wild. And it's one of the only jobs that fits in with my degree um, because medicine's quite uh, full on. But it's just like one of those things I just reflect and I'm just like, you scratch your head and you realize that you're like, why do I stress? Like, it's uh, write down your goals, but then just work hard and take a back seat. In terms of just, like I had to study my butt off, right? I had to work super hard, but there is no way if I sat down with all the time in the world, could have I planned that like that? And that's what I just want to encourage you here today, that God does the most wild things when you trust Him. The next part of that verse, we're just going to unpack it tonight. It says, exceedingly abundantly above, exactly like I said, that God always goes far above. I love it. In Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So often we need to just take a step back and reflect on our life like I had the chance to do recently. And if everything that took place in your last 10 years was exactly how you planned it, then I'd be asking questions. Questions like, was I not letting God in? Was I shutting Him out? Because the truth is, if He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, and if His ways are higher than our ways, then technically we shouldn't have thought of what was going to happen for the last 10 years. Right? We should have a plan and a rough vision of where we're going, but when we reflect, we should sit there and go like, what the heck? Like, and that's because we shouldn't understand all that God's doing. He's God. Another verse in the Bible says like, he rebukes us and says, who do we think we are? Like, we're the clay pot in his hands and he's the potter. Do you know what I mean? And so I would just encourage you tonight, if you reflect and you're like, man, actually, I feel like I've put God in a box. I feel like I've shut him off from my life. And the reason that I know that is because life goes exactly how I planned it and there's no room for flexibility. And so I just wanted to encourage you tonight that this week, just sit and reflect. What was my last 10 years like? And just begin to just think, where are the miracles? What's God been up to? And very quickly, you'll see him just weaving things in your life. And like I said, if you don't see those little weaves, I'm going to address like how you can fix that. But it's just taking a moment to be like, Lord, I want the next 10 years to be different. Amen. The next part, this is my favorite part. It says, um, according to the power at work within us. Who knows that a lot of Bible verses, although God's grace is free, he forgives us, etc. But there's a lot in the Bible that's actually conditional. And sometimes that's rough to swallow because you're like, what, I actually have to do something? Like, that's going to require work. But it says, according to the power at work within us, the first thing to understand is what that power is. The Bible uses a word to describe the power of God called dunamis, um, which is the Greek word, and it's specific to God. That power is, uh, comes in and through us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Before I was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to in the Bible in many, many different ways. He's called our helper, uh, He's called our comforter, He's uh, called our guide, and He's definitely our power source. One thing that blows my mind is all the things that took place in the early church. So if you've ever read the book of Acts, it, it talks through the stories of, of what was happening in the church uh, just after Jesus ascended. And what blew my mind is that when you see how closely they walked with the Holy Spirit, it makes sense uh, when you see the miracles that were taking place. So it says in Acts 15, 28, for it seemed good to, uh, to the Holy Spirit and to us. Do you see the language of partnership? In other words, um, someone is speaking to Luke who's writing the book of Acts and he says, hey, like this is something we prayed about, we thought about, we meditated on and it seemed good to us and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. In other words, they could distinguish between their voice and the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we should be like that. It goes on to say in Acts 8, 26, I love this, talking about Philip, it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and then it goes on for the rest of the verse, and then it says in Acts 8, 29, and the Spirit said to Philip. What I'm trying to get at is that, again, you see Luke, he's recording all the things that are happening in the book of Acts, and he's asking Philip, like, what happened? And Philip says, well... The Holy Spirit came to me and he said this. And then later on he says, and then an angel came to me and said this. What's my point? He knew the difference between their voices. Do you see? He knew the Holy Spirit so well that he could distinguish the voice of an angel from the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you're in a room with your kids or your parents and you close your eyes and they speak, you know who's talking, right? And we should be the same. 
We should be people who pursue after Jesus and after the Holy Spirit so much so that we know the sound of His voice. Because ultimately, He is that power that works in us to achieve the exceeding and abundant things. So we need to know Him. The next part of this, uh, actually I should say the the unfortunate thing about Ephesians 3.20 is that it doesn't say um, that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think full stop. But like I said, it adds the according to the power at work within us. Like I said, it's conditional. You see, for us, it's really, uh, I guess, valuable. Who Actually, I'll ask a question. Has anybody here ever like, participated in research? Nope. Okay. I'm flying solo. Yeah. That's, I knew there'd be at least one or two hands. Yeah, actually, my mum did her master's. Wild times. Definitely um, a few more gray hairs after that one. Okay. I, I'm, she'll forgive me. She'll forgive me. I, like, I'm, I'm like 27, a few years into medicine, half my hair's falling out, so I can, I can relate, I can relate. But anyway, the reason I'm talking about research is what we do in, in research is we, we do something and then we observe it. And I love the Bible because it's so practical. Quite often what we can do is as we read, we, we observe patterns. We observe uh, things that are consistent, weaved all throughout the Bible. And one of those things is that there are some people in the Bible that when you read about their lives, they live exceedingly and abundantly above all God could ask or think. But then there are others that when you read their lives, you see that it's not true in their lives. And in fact, they quite often, some people like King Saul, finish tragically. And it begs the question, why? Why do some of them live these just insane supernatural lives and then others don't? And so this week I was just beginning to meditate on that, and there is countless stories of this throughout the Bible, but the one that I wanted to just touch on tonight was the story of Joshua. For, for those that don't know the story of Joshua, it's found in Exodus um, and kind of weaved all throughout the first kind of five books of the Bible, but Joshua was a young boy. He uh, was a Hebrew boy. He was there when they were uh, held in slavery in Egypt, and he was um, assistant to someone called Moses who was the prophetic leader that led the Israelites out of Egypt. Many of you would know the story. He goes through the Red Sea, the Egyptians drown. Then he gets brought to the mountain of God and a whole lot of stuff goes down. So this young guy, Joshua, is there the whole time, right? He is Moses' assistant. He goes up the mountain of God with Moses. He goes into the tent of meeting with Moses. He's also one of the two spies that we'll talk about later that go into the land. He ended up taking over from Moses, and he ends up leading the Israelites into the promised land. He won many, many battles, and he lived a supernatural life. Joshua saw every plague in Egypt. He saw the Red Sea split. He saw God descend on a mountain. He saw a pillar of fire and a cloud. He saw manna from heaven. He saw swarms of quail, water from a rock, the Jordan River stop and dry up. He saw the walls of Jericho fall down. He saw hail fly from the sky in battle, and he saw the sun stop in the air for 24 hours. And so as I'm reflecting on the story of Joshua, I'm like, what did he do? Because that scripture, exceedingly abundantly above, according to the power working within us, clearly he knew how to let the power work within him. And who knows, like, I don't know about you, I want to be like that. I, I want to reflect on 10 years gone by and be like, man, God did some crazy things in me. And as I was reflecting on Joshua's story, I just had a few points of things that he did really well. And the first one was that he embraced the wilderness season. In Exodus 3.18, it says, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. 
Many people think that when Moses was coming to Pharaoh to ask um, for the Israelites to be released from slavery, that he was taking them directly to the promised land, but it's not true. This scripture shows us that they were coming out of Egypt to go into the wilderness. The same thing happened to Jesus when he got baptized and he came out of the water. He got um, he, yeah, he got baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him. And then what does it say? It says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And I just wanted to speak to some of you here tonight who might be in a wilderness. And you're thinking, what the heck did I do to get here? And often it's because God led you into it. But it's for a reason. It's for a reason. How you respond to that uh, wilderness season will either set you up for amazing success or you'll end up cutting laps in the wilderness, right? What ended up happening was Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, succeeded, and came out in power. The Israelites would have only spent, I think, roughly 10 days if they had done the right thing in the wilderness and ended up spending 40 years in it because of how they responded to it. Joshua was one of only two people that ended up coming out of the wilderness and entering the promised land who were in that crowd of Israelites. The rest of them passed away in the wilderness because of how they responded. You see, when you're in a wilderness, you have a choice. Do you trust God? Do you say, I know what Jesus told me. I'm going to keep following Him. I'm going to keep worshiping Him. I'm going to keep my eyes set on Him. I'm going to keep loving the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep my heart fixed on Him, knowing that He's going to bring me out of this and into the promised land. Or you do what the Israelites did, and the Bible says that they grumbled, that they quickly forgot what God had done for them, that they got hungry, and so rather than believing God for food, they just complained. Rather than believing God for water, they just said, it's better for us in Egypt. Like, what an insult to God. He walks them through the Red Sea. He leads them to a, a mountain covered in fire where they heard a voice come out of it. And they go, it's better for us that we go back. But the thing is, that's human nature. Like, I don't know about you, like, when times get hard, it's the easiest thing to do to turn around and be like, oh, what the, why am I even following God? Life sucks. This is hard. All hell's breaking loose. My family's gone nuts. My children are sick. I'm sick. Like, all this stuff is happening. And it's human nature to just want to shroud back and be like, look, when I trusted God, this happened. But what you don't realize is you might only be a day away from the promised land, and you're nearly there, and then all of a sudden you stop and you start complaining. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not st standing up here today saying that I've never done that, because I definitely have. But I want us to be a people that we recognize when we're in a wilderness, and we stop and we just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you've taken me out of Egypt. Egypt speaks of our old life. Egypt speaks of slavery to sin. Egypt speaks of troubles. Like sometimes Sienna and I walk through troubles and we do have that thought like, man, when I was actually following the world's ways, life was a little bit better. And then we stop and we reflect and we go, oh, actually, I was addicted to everything that moved. I was locked up and bound and filled with hurt and I treated people like trash. And, and we stop and we just go, man, thank you, Jesus, that I am not in Egypt anymore. And thank you for everything that you did to get me out of here. James 1, 2-4 says it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, when you face troubles of any kind, come, or when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Like, how cool would it be to be someone when all hell breaks loose, you're like, man, this is awesome. Like, honestly, you'd, you'd look completely nuts, but, but it says that you're going to be made perfect. 
complete. Like who here, I want to be complete. I want to get before Jesus and not be like a puzzle piece where the one piece is missing and you've got to search for it and it's just the most annoying thing ever. I want to be the person that when Jesus goes, oh, like you embrace those trials like a champ and you kept your eyes fixed on me. You finished well and we come and we cast our crown at the feet of Jesus. Like I want to be someone that when I get to heaven and I look at him, he's smiling and he's like, oh, good and faithful servant. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm home and all those trials were worth it. Right? I want to be a people like that. The next thing that Joshua did and Moses did and Jesus did and so many amazing people in the Bible was they fasted. This one's a fun one to talk about. In Exodus 24, we see that Moses and Joshua went up on a mountain for 40 days and it says that they ate no food. Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, ate no food for 40 days. Countless things happen in the Bible when people fast. Fasting has many, many revelations uh, in terms of what it actually does for us, but I just want to share around one particular thing today, and that is that fasting is the scriptural and biblical way that we, we humble ourselves. Matthew 6.16 says, When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, um, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. So these people are fasting so that they look spiritual. So Jesus is identifying two things here. He says, when you fast. In other words, we should all fast. And it's not being religious. It's not being uh, critical or not being whatever. It's just Jesus says, you should fast, when you fast. There's a reason for it. It's powerful. And I'm going to share that in a second. The other thing he says, don't fast like this. In other words, don't leave your hair all messy, leave your face unwashed, walk about. And someone's like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, I'm just fasting. I'm just loving Jesus. Um, in other words, like, it's, it's just an ego thing. Jesus says, don't be like that. Comb your hair, wash your face, put on clothes, try and act like you're not dying, and, and go to work. And he says, because your reward is what's seen in secret, right? It's, it's amazing. But like I said, it's the, it's the way we humble ourselves. I want to share on this tonight because pride is a sneaky devil. And I know that because it, it's, it's one of those things that I've struggled with for a long time and seen great freedom in. Psalms 35, 13 says, I humbled myself with fasting. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who here wants God to resist you? Definitely not me. Who knows that you're not going to beat him and you're not going to outpush him? But that is what pride tries to do. Pride tries to say, hey, God, like, I can do this. I've got this. But when we humble ourselves with fasting, we allow the power of God to move in us. One thing that um, really just convicted me deeply about this uh, is there's an amazing man of God who's currently in heaven uh, named Derek Prince. Many of you may know him. He's an absolute general of the faith. I heard a message about him talking about fasting and humility. And he said when he was a newborn Christian, he just got this inside desire. He just knew that he had to fast. And so he committed to fasting just one day a week. He's like, I can do that just one day a week. He did that for like more than 50 years. He ended up fasting in his lifetime for more than 2,500 days. But when he came to the end of his life, he's like 88 years old, still preaching like an absolute weapon. Like you hear him preach and you hear the humility in his voice. And so I'm hearing this man preach with such authority and humility being like, what, what is it that, that did this? And then he said it. He said that fasting has been one of the greatest game changers in his life. He's like, I've identified so many things in my life because I fasted. And so after hearing this message, I was like, for six months, I was like, I'm just going to fast one day a week. And I was fasting because I, I didn't want pride in my life anymore. I just hated it. 
I didn't want to stand on my own two legs. I want to stand on Jesus' feet. And when I was thinking about that, what I realized was, I was like, Lord, what did that six months do? But earlier this year, I was really blessed to have a, a catch up with Pastor Mike Connell, always a good one-on-one with him. And I walked in and I'm sitting there and I was like, man, Pastor Mike, I feel like there's like cats fighting in my stomach. And he just smiled and he's like, we know what that is. And then he goes on talking and so on. And then at the end, he prays for me. And, and he, he set me free by the power of the Holy Spirit from a, a spirit of pride and fear that I'd been carrying for all of my life. But just today, just reflecting on my time fasting for those six months, what it did was it just allowed me to get in a position of humility where God wasn't resisting me anymore so that those things could be shifted off. I'm just going to jump to my last point because I've preached long today. Um, but the other things that I saw in Joshua's life was that he read and meditated on the Word of God. And I, I want you guys to go look up these things because I don't have time to cover them tonight. The other thing was that he reflected on all God had done. Like I said, the Israelites quickly forgot all God had done. One of the best ways to get faith for what God can do is to look back at what he has done. Sometimes to just stop and be like, Jesus, what have you done in my life? And just let him show you. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And quickly you go, oh, he walked me through the Red Sea. He poured water from a rock. He parted the Jordan River. Of course he can move me into the promised land. Of course he can. And so I just want to encourage you, start to reflect. But the last one, I I can't leave this out, is that Joshua learned to spend time alone with God. I'm a resounding gong when it comes to preaching. This is the one thing. In Exodus 33.11, it says, Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. You want to know the secret to Joshua's life, the secret to so many people who achieve amazing things for God. They love his presence. God draws Abraham out of a tent when he's complaining about not having kids. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. In other words, yes, I'll give you a child. Yes, I'll do those things. But here's me. You know the reason God made you? Because he wants you. And so he invites us into this intimate relationship with him where you walk into your bedroom door. Maybe it's your car in the morning. Maybe it's somewhere that you just escape. Like it says in Matthew 6, go into your room alone, close the door. Your father sees you in secret. So you walk into this place and you shut the door and instantly you just turn your eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, here I am. And that is the very thing that you were created to do. Imagine being Joshua. You see Moses speak to God face to face. And then Moses leaves the tent and Joshua's like, I'm not going anywhere. God is in this place and I'm, I'm staying locked up. In that place, Joshua, I just, it just I, if, I, if we can watch like a, a rewind like of all of what happened in history when we get to heaven, I want to know what he was doing in there. I, I have ideas, but like imagine just being in God's presence like that. And I mean, what came out of that? He had such faith that he asked the sun to stand still. And he didn't do it in the secret place either. He came out of the secret place, stands before the whole of the um, entire Israelite nation and says, Lord, make the sun stand still. And 24 hours, it just stays in the middle of the air. Like that, what the heck? But sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, how did he have the faith to do that? And then I remember, oh, that's right. He stayed in the tent. And so I want to encourage you here today. If you want to live a life that is exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think, you have to find where your tent is and you have to lock the door and you have to sit there and be like, Jesus, I am not coming out 
until you touch me. Man, I remember when everyone's praying in tongues and I didn't know how and I walked into my secret place, I closed the door and I said, Jesus, I'm not coming out of here till I speak in tongues. I refuse to come out. Half an hour goes by, 45 minutes goes by, nothing happening and then something shifts. And I felt like I was nearly vomiting words. Like I'm talking, I couldn't, if I'd tried to hold them in, I would have popped. Like a whole new language starts coming out. My head's going, what the heck's going on? I'm walking around and my mouth's just like going for it. And why? I just want to, I want to stir faith in the room today, right? If you get alone with God, anything can happen. Anything can happen. But it just takes that one person that goes, I'm going to shut the door and I'm not coming out, Jesus, till I meet with you face to face and my eyes lock with yours. And so I just want to encourage you today that maybe it is you've got to lock in on this 21-day fast and say, Lord, I'm just going to chase you with all of my heart. I'm going to deny my flesh, humble myself. Maybe it's you've got to find your tent, whatever that looks like. Or maybe it's you've got to be a person, you're in a wilderness and you're like, Lord, I've been complaining and I've been struggling and I've been taking my eyes off you and I've been thinking about going back to my old ways. Whatever person you are in this place today, I'll just encourage you, take hold of what Jesus is talking to you about today and run with it.